Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. He wasn't at all expecting to see me in that place at that time. He was also obviously unaware of all that was going on at that place at that time. At any rate, when he saw me there, he blurted out, What are you doing here? I was a bit taken back by that kind of a statement as an introduction, but nevertheless, I uh, said, oh, how are you? And uh, we exchanged niceties and greetings and uh, parted ways. I never did answer his question. Uh, But as we parted, it occurred to me he had asked a very good question. Why are you here? So let me ask you that. What are you doing here? I don't mean at this service, at this time. I don't mean the place where you are physically right this moment. I mean, why are you here? I'm not talking about the city you live in. I'm talking about the planet you reside on. Why are you on this planet? What are you doing here? What are you using your time and your talent and your treasure for? What are you doing here? I suppose we could give all kinds of theological answers to that, like uh, we're here because of the Lord or for other people, and maybe sometimes we're here to serve ourselves, and maybe you would get real clever and say all of the above. Uh, But why are you here? What is your purpose on this earth? Now, I concede before I begin this that there are a number of different correct answers that you can give to that. What I want us to do today is look at one answer that the Apostle Paul gave to that. We are told in the New Testament that everything that happened to him happened as an example for us. So I want us to look at him and what he said about himself for the passage we're going to look at today is autobiographical. But I want us to keep in mind that though this was true of him, It is the pattern for us. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with the first verse in the first chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, quote, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, 
called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is in the literary format of a letter. And as you have heard me say before concerning other books in the New Testament, a letter, an ancient letter, had a standard format. It always began with a salutation, followed by a thanksgiving, a prayer, the body of the letter, personal greetings, and a benediction at the end. Now, being in the form of an ancient letter, the book of Romans opens with a salutation. Now, that salutation itself had a standard formula or format. It consisted of three parts. It first identified the author, which is a much superior way to writing a letter than we do. When I get a multi-page letter, I always have to turn to the last page to see who's talking to me before I begin the first sentence on the first page. Well, the ancients had all that figured out, and they just started right off with identifying the author. The second thing they did was identify the recipients. And finally, the third part of the salutation is they gave a greeting. Now, the first seven verses of Romans follows the format of an ancient salutation. It very obviously consists of three parts. Paul identifies himself as the author, he speaks concerning the recipients, and he gives a greeting. But there's one other thing you need to know. An ancient author could take one or more of these parts and elaborate or expand on it at will. Paul often does that in his epistles. When he does, what he does is a clue as to what he is going to say in the book. I don't know of an exception to that in all of the letters of Paul in the New Testament. So what I want us to do is look at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. In one sense, this is a standard salutation, which is the introduction to the letter. In another sense, it is elaborating on some of those items and giving us hints, if you will, of what he will do in the book itself. So let's look at these first seven verses. First, Paul, true to form, identifies himself as the author. But as you look at these seven verses, you quickly discover that he takes six verses to do that. So obviously what he's doing is expanding on the first of these three parts of a salutation. He's identifying himself as the author, and then he is plunging the depths of that. Actually, he says three things about himself. He talks about his person, he talks about his position, and he talks about his purpose. So we're going to look first at the author and those three things about him. For example, verse 1 says, Paul a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now those three things in verse 1 are all identifying the author, the apostle Paul. First of all, he identifies his person, and he says, I am a slave. 
Now let's talk about that for just a second. Historians tell us that the ancient world consisted of about half slaves. Anybody in the Roman Empire who became a slave did so involuntarily. They were forced to be slaves. They were conquered and reduced to slavery. But in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, you could voluntarily become a slave if your master chose to set you free and out of gratitude you wanted to serve him, you could voluntarily become his slave for the rest of your life. Now when Paul says he was a slave of Jesus Christ, he's talking about his person and he, as, he is at least talking about personal submission. A slave was subject to his owner master. So Paul is identifying himself as one who is personally subjected to Jesus Christ. It's just that I think from a biblical point of view, he has more the Hebrew concept in man than the Roman. That he is saying that he voluntarily submitted to Jesus Christ. So in terms of his person, he is personally submitted to the Lord. The second thing he says about himself is that he was called to be an apostle. Now this is his position. He is an apostle. The word apostle simply means one who is sent. But there are several different words by, for sent in the New Testament. This one has with it the idea of an official sending. So that he was not just sent on his own, he was sent by divine authority. As a matter of fact, verse 1 says he was called to be sent, implying there was divine commission in his being sent. Also, by calling himself an apostle, he is putting himself on the level of the 12 apostles. So he says, I am a slave on one hand, I am an apostle on another. Now, if you stop and think about it for just a second, putting those two things in juxtaposition is rather strange. I mean, from a human point of view, uh, we don't make slaves ambassadors, someone sent with authority. Nor do we refer to an ambassador as someone who is so lowly socially that they would be called a slave. But in the kingdom of God, which has a way of making everything topsy-turvy and turning everything upside down, you must first be a slave before you are an apostle. You must personally be submitted to Jesus Christ before you are sent with authority by Jesus Christ. So Paul is absolutely correct in identifying himself as a slave and an apostle all at the same time. There's a third thing he says about himself, and this is critical, both for understanding this passage and for the purpose we need to think about ourselves tonight. For the third thing that Paul says about himself deals with his purpose. His, as far as his person is concerned, he considers himself a slave. As far as his position is concerned, he considers himself an apostle, someone with authority. But his purpose... I think is summed up in the word separated to the gospel of God. 
the purpose of my being a slave, the purpose of my being called to be an apostle, Paul says, is I am set apart to the gospel of God. I think Paul would say, matter of fact, there's no doubt in my mind, just read his writings, that one of the reasons, one of the major reasons he was here was he was set apart to the gospel. He was separated under the gospel. His purpose in being on this planet was to propagate the gospel. Now, at this point in the passage, something real interesting happens. It happens all the time. It happens every day in conversation. It no doubt happened to you today. It'll happen to you tomorrow. But when you're writing and it happens, it gets a little tricky. So let me just explain to you up front what Paul does in this passage next. Were you ever in a conversation and you started talking and a subject came up and uh, when that subject came up, uh, uh, a, a word came up and it reminded you of another subject and you, and you sort of switched and you trailed off? There are a couple of women shaking their heads yes. You know what I'm talking about? And then, and, then, and then a word comes up and that reminds you of something else and you start talking about that and you trail off on something else and you end up down the road talking about something that was nowhere near what you started out at. You know, you know what I'm talking about? All you ladies are shaking their heads yes. All right. Paul does that all the time. That's the way he writes. And in this passage, that's the way he develops his thought. Now, I'm going to try and make this as simple, as simple as possible. But basically, what Paul is doing is this. He says, I personally am separated under the gospel of God. That's verse 1. From that point down through verse 6, he talks about the gospel. The rest of this passage is a discussion of the gospel. Now, he says one thing and that leads him to say another and that leads him to say another and it sounds like he's chasing rabbits way down the trail. So let me just tell you that in the rest of these verses, through verse 6, he is basically saying two things about the gospel. Number one, he's talking about the message itself. And then he's going to talk about his mission. And all of this is related to the fact that he is separated unto the gospel. That's his purpose. But his purpose includes a message and a mission. Now with that in mind, let's see if we can trace this thought through these verses. He says in verse 2, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. He says concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now all of that is just talking about the message, namely the gospel. He tells us his, the source of this message. He says, verse 2, that God promised this before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. The gospel did not originate with the apostle Paul. It didn't originate with the apostles either. In the book of Galatians, Paul tells us 
that he got his gospel from God. He got it straight from the Lord. So the ultimate origin of the gospel was Jesus Christ himself. But now what Paul is saying in this passage is that God revealed parts of that message to the uh, prophets in the Old Testament. So there's nothing new about what Paul is preaching in one sense of the term. Now I do think that the Apostle Paul gave us the most detailed, definitive description of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that the gospel is... Boy, if I weren't speaking and if there weren't so many people here, I'd be real tempted to let's stop right now, pass out three-by-five cards, and have everyone write down what you think the gospel is. You can tell me the gospel, can't you? You're supposed to be shaking your head, yes. You can tell me the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for our sins and Christ... Oh, gave me heart failure here for a minute. All right, you got it. It's Christ died for our sins and Christ arose from the dead. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it will say Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture that he was buried, that he arose again the third day according to the Scripture, that the Scripture, according to the Apostle Paul, predicted that the Messiah would suffer and die, Isaiah 53, and that he would rise again. That was a little harder to find in the Old Testament. It's implied in the fact that he would rule and reign, and it's perhaps implied in some of the Psalms. But Paul's claim was that the gospel, the coming of the Messiah, was revealed in the Old Testament, and it was his contention that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those messianic promises. Now, that's all he's saying here. He mentions the word gospel in verse 1, and he says that gospel was the one God promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. That is its source. But its subject is Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 3, it was concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this is a case where he brings up one subject, the gospel, and he, that think, makes him think of another, and this makes him think of another, and he's trailing off. He mentions Jesus Christ, and so he stops to tell us several things about Jesus Christ. He says, "...who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead." Now, this is going to get... I mean, you, you know, you, you try to unravel some of these table conversations, it'll drive you crazy. But actually, though it sounds like he's piling one phrase on top of another, basically what he's saying is this. I'm talking about the gospel. The gospel was revealed, first of all, by the Lord through the prophets in the Old Testament. And now he's telling us that the subject of that gospel was Jesus Christ. And what he says about Jesus Christ is two things. He was truly human and he was truly divine. So he says in verse 3, it's concerning our, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was really human. According to the Old Testament scriptures, he was going to be the son of David. So his Jewishness is related to the fact that he was born the uh, son of David. And secondly, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. 
The Greek text of verse 4 indicates that the idea here could very well be that the resurrection was a powerful proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. Or as someone has said, the resurrection was the finger of God pointing out who his son really was. There's one little phrase here that uh, might trip you up. It says in the middle of verse 4, according to the spirit of holiness. And some see in that a reference to the Holy Spirit and others see in that a reference to the holiness of Jesus Christ. I suspect the latter is the correct interpretation, that in verse 3 he talked about according to the flesh, and now he's talking about according to the Spirit, and those are the two aspects of Jesus Christ. According to the flesh, he was truly human, he was the seed of David. According to the Spirit, he was holy, which is indicated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, there are seeds here that will blossom later in the book of Romans. The very fact that Jesus Christ is resurrected, even this emphasis on holiness will blossom later in Romans chapter 8 where we are told that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of his life, if you will, we can live a life of holiness because he is alive and living in us, we can be righteous and holy in our daily practical lives. So as I mentioned a moment ago, he's dropping seeds here. They will take, uh, they will bear fruit later in the epistle. Now, have I lost you? I'm talking about the purpose of the Apostle Paul. And the purpose of the Apostle Paul is he was separated to the gospel. And everything from verses 2 and 3 and 4 are phrases related to the gospel. The gospel concerns Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that he was truly human, that he was truly divine. The resurrection is proof of his deity. Physically, he was of the seed of David. Now, beginning at this point, Paul shifts gears again. He's still talking about the fact that he's separated under the gospel of God. And now he's talking about his mission, which comes back to this purpose idea of him being separated to the gospel of God. He says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He is saying, through whom we... Now, when he says we, he is talking about more than just himself. He doesn't say through whom I, he says through whom we. And now I assume he is including all of the apostles. He is saying that all of us apostles have received grace so that we could be obedient to the faith among all nations for his name now. He's talking about his mission. He is saying, this gospel that I've been separated unto, I have received grace from God that I might, like the other apostles, spread it among all nations for his name. 
So all the way back up in verse 1, he says, I'm separated under the gospel. And now he is saying, that's my mission, along with the other apostles, to spread that gospel to all nations for his name. Now he mentions nations in verse 6, and that makes him think of Gentiles, and the conversation keeps trailing off, bouncing from one subject to another. And so he adds in verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus. That is, he's told us to go spread the gospel to all the nations, and that reminds me, you Romans are part of that, and uh, you've been called to Jesus Christ uh, in that the gospel has been spread all the way to Rome also. You might notice that back up in verse 1, he was called to be an apostle. They were called, it says uh, in verse 6, uh, by Jesus Christ. But the simple point is this. In verses 1 through 6, Paul is simply identifying himself as the author of this epistle. And technically, he says three things about himself. He says he's a slave. He says he's an apostle. He says he's separated under the gospel. It's when he gets to that phrase, separated unto the gospel, that he goes into this elaborate detail to say that's the message, that's the mission, that's the purpose, if you will, for why I am an apostle and why I'm here on the earth. The second part of the salutation is in verse 7. He then identifies the recipients of the letter. And he says in verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now the recipients are obviously the Romans, and he says to all, and by that I assume he means all the believers that are in Rome, and in light of what comes in this book, I'm driven to say that he probably means all the Jews and the Gentile Christian. But he says, all who are in Rome who are beloved of God. Let me point, stop here for just a minute. Let me pause and, and, and suggest that the recipients are loved by God. They are beloved of God. Aren't all people loved of God? And there is a sense in which, yes, that's true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. There's another sense in which when a person responds to that, they enter into a uh, personal relationship, a father-child relationship with God. So that if you respond to the love of God expressed to the whole world through the cross of his Son and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you become a child of God, and God can say, you are beloved. So there's a sense in which you love everybody, and there's a sense in which you really love your kids. You know what I mean? Well, in this sense, I think Paul is saying, you who know Jesus Christ at Rome, you are beloved of God. You have an intimate relationship 
with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 7, you are called to be saints. And that's our word, holy. You are called to be saints. Now he's talked about the fact that he was called, verse 1. He's talked about the fact that they were called, verse 6. And now he says, you were called to be saints. And that's the same root word in Greek from which we get our idea of holiness or sanctification. And again, I am driven to say that um, this is a hint here that the ultimate point he's going to make, we'll get to it in chapters 6, 7, and 8, is that God wants us as his children to live righteous, godly, holy lives. We are called to be saints, set apart, holy unto him. The third part of the salutation is the greeting itself. It's in the latter part of verse 7 where he simply says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which this is Paul's standard greeting. His standard greeting is grace and peace. And in that sense, there's nothing unusual about this greeting. In another sense, I think it would be perfectly legitimate to see a connection here between what he has said to them and about them and this particular greeting. It is not said flippantly or just out of custom or in isolation. In that sense of the term, then, he is speaking to those to whom it is said, God has a great love for you. This is said to those of whom it is said, you are called by Jesus Christ. This is given to those who are called saints. So that Paul is identifying these people in this passage as loved of God, beloved of God, called of God, and saints of God. It's to those people, he says, grace, peace. And as you read the rest of Romans, you realize that grace in this book is the basis of everything that is to come. That it is the foundation on which all is built. We are declared righteous before God by His grace. We're given access to Him through His grace. We, who are loved of Him and called by Him, made saints by Him, are accepted by Him all through grace. So grace is the foundation and the basis. Peace is the end. That now Paul will say later in this book, we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So grace is the basis and peace is the end. Peace. That which everybody wants. The cessation of struggle and war. We're at peace with God, which makes it possible for us to be at peace with one another and have peace within ourselves. So his greeting to them is significant. You have grace and peace. Now, what I've done is just survey these verses rather rapidly. 
There is a practical point to all of this, and I saved it till the end. I want to sum up all of this, and I want to make two points. The sum of what I see in these seven verses is that these verses are telling us that Paul is a slave and an apostle set apart unto the gospel, and he sends a greeting of grace and peace to those who are loved and called by God. Now that tries to put in one sentence and summarize everything that's said here. But there are two critical issues, and these are the two things I want you to understand. Number one, this is the introduction to the book of Romans. It's the salutation. And as such, it relates to the rest of this book. We're going to study this book verse by verse as we go through it. But the seeds are planted early in the very opening verses. That there, there is in this passage the whole emphasis on the gospel. We're going to discover very shortly that's a critical issue in the book of Romans. We know from this passage already that the gospel concerns the divine human person of Jesus Christ. We know already from these verses that the divine human person of Jesus Christ died and arose. And we can see in these verses that it includes everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. We can see in this passage an emphasis on the fact that we are saints, and that is only the beginning of what this book is about that the gospel which concerns Jesus Christ, the divine human person who died and arose, who is of the seed of David, who is resurrected from the dead, has come to make us holy and righteous. And that is one of the major thrusts of the whole book of Romans. But there's a second thing I want you to understand, and that is that these verses relate directly to us. I know <laughs> most of them talk about Paul. The rest of them talk about the Romans. What's that got to do with us? Well, as I suggested at the beginning, Paul himself says that everything that happened to him was an example for us so that this was written Paul's life was lived, if you will, as an object lesson for us. So there are truths here that become apparent in the rest of Romans, but can be seen very clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul that apply directly to us. For example, there is the whole idea in these verses that by God's grace, we become God's saints through God's gospel. Now, most of you have heard me say this, and you've heard me say it over and over, but I am constantly aware that people are slipping in here who've not heard me say it, so bear with me as I say it again. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ arose from the dead, and because he died, because he arose, you can have eternal life by simply trusting in Jesus Christ. 
Now, in very simple terms, that's what the gospel, which is the bulk of what this passage is about, is all about. The gospel is about the fact that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died and arose, and you can become a child of God, a saint, if you will, by simply trusting in Jesus Christ. But I think there is also the emphasis in this passage that applies to us that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can live holy lives. That right in the middle of this, there is this emphasis on the resurrection of Christ. There is this statement about the spirit of holiness as related to the resurrection. And as we get into Romans, we will discover that we can not only be declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, but we now have the possibility open before us of actually walking with the living God and that we can live a righteous life, if you will, all because Jesus Christ is alive and resides in us. We can live a godly life because of that fact. But there is one more point here, and it seems to me that it is the point of this passage. And that is, if you follow carefully all these statements that are piled one on top of another, if you go back to the source, the first one, I think you'll trace it all back to the fact that in verse 1 he says, I was separated to the gospel of God. Now let me talk about this for just a second. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which you have been separated unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul explains in this passage, we have been given grace to make that gospel known throughout the whole world. Now, I began this study today by asking, why are you here? What are you doing here? Are you here just to have fun? I hope not though I hope you're enjoying the trip. Some might give a theological answer like I'm here to know God and glorify Him forever and enjoy Him forever, all of which is true. But in very tangible, specific ways, folks, we are here to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are where you are at work so you can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You live in the neighborhood you live in and you have the friends that you do, partly so that you can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church is here and one of our major tasks as a church is that we are separated under the gospel. And our job as a congregation is to spread that gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning right here. Believest thou this? Now, you see, the reason I want to talk about this is I think there is a, a spirit abroad to each his own. Live and let live. So it is tempting to get into conversations when even the opportunity presents itself for you to just let it slide, you know? 
I mean, you can tell people about how much you enjoy your church and and you might tell them about your testimony, but you wouldn't dare suggest that they needed to trust Jesus Christ, would you? I mean, isn't that getting a little pushy? Well, all I want you to understand is, that's why God's got you here. One of the reasons we're here is we're separated under the gospel. And that means I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ died for you, and you can have your sins forgiven by trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, I think we need to do that in our personal lives as God gives us open doors of opportunity. So the bottom line of this little Bible study tonight is not just an introduction to the book of Romans, though it is that, and though we're going to study Romans. But very specifically, you can't come in contact with this and other passages in the New Testament without realizing that what we're really doing here, this isn't a school, this isn't a university where you just take notes and learn facts, it's that we have a mission, we have a purpose, we're here for a reason, and that reason is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that through our mouth can't come to a passage like this that talks about the fact that um, we are given grace for obedience to the faith among all nations without being reminded of missions. As you well know, we are deeply involved in missions as a church, and it is because of passages like this. It's why we're here. Obviously, there are other reasons why we're here. We're here to worship God. We're here to minister to one another. We're here to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're here to serve. But a major reason why we are here as a congregation is so we can help spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that means we not only spread it with our mouth where we are, but we spread the gospel with our money where we are not. We help send others to go win people to Jesus Christ and establish churches. So I began by asking, why are you here? And the answer from this passage is we're separated under the gospel, just like Paul. We've been given a mission, a commission, to go spread the gospel to everybody we possibly can. I began a moment ago by talking about being someplace and meeting an old friend who wasn't expecting me to be there. And he blurted out, why are you here? Would you like to know why I was there? I was in that place at that time because I had been invited there to speak. If I had answered his question in a word, I would have said, I am here to deliver a message. Now let me ask you, why are you here? Well, you might not have the gift of preaching or teaching or evangelism or exhortation, and yours not, may not be to stand before a large group and teach or speak or preach, but you are here from a biblical point of view, 
to deliver a message. So don't hesitate to do it. As God gives you opportunity, he will give you the grace to deliver that message. So do it with all that is within you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being part of your program. We thank you for the privilege of being able to tell others about your Son and see them come to know you in a personal way. Father, I thank you for these folks and their desire to know you and your word. And I pray that you will give all of us as a congregation a great desire to see many, many others, many more, come to know you through your Son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.